0: Tennis Podcasters, appreciate you guys tuning in. Nate Walworth here with Joe Patton. It's a happy Tuesday. i um, hoping this will drop on Wednesday for you guys, but we had a special guest this past weekend. Andres Gomez, 1990 French Open champion. Took down Andre Agassi. Epic match. Uh, for those of you have, who have read Open Andre Ag- Agassi's book, strongly recommend if you haven't. He talks about this match. A uh, match that he thought he was going to lose his hair wig. And um, yeah, I mean, Andres Gomez is obviously, I mean, top four. He was number four in the world, top twenty-five player for over a decade, um, number one player in doubles. Doesn't need much of an introduction. Uh, big player in the in the game in the '90s, and it was just awesome having him on. You know, I got to meet him after teaching with his daughter this past summer at Western Athletic Club.
1: And uh, just a quick on the 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 interview took place uh, via Zoom call, so there's some. Little bit of technical issues and uh, just bear with us as we tried to get through it and kind of missed out on we the missed little, his Aussie Open picks. A little miss, miss out on the Aussie Open picks, which he was dead on on every single one.
0: Hello, Andres. How are things going?
2: It seems okay. Um, always involved with tennis, doing a lot of things and uh, trying, to, uh, uh, trying to stay, uh, you know, at least step ahead of uh, of this uh, craziness that it's been the last uh, two and a half years. And And, um, the way to do it is uh, just uh, taking care of yourself, taking care of the people around you, and and keep doing what you were doing. And
0: uh, it's the only way. So I appreciate you coming on the Pure Tennis Podcast. Uh, We started this a couple months ago obviously I coached with your daughter Rafa Gomez last summer and we became great friends and I had the pleasure of uh, having you in town and meeting the kids and I got to meet you myself. And it was just, I mean, it's not every day you get to meet a uh, future or a, a former three-time grand slam champion. So anyway, it's just like, it's, it's crazy. Everybody's like um, Andres Gomez is, I was telling a couple of guys at work, he's coming on the podcast. I was like, yeah, I mean, like, Rafa is like one of my great, good friends. I, I talk to her all the time. So it's, um, and then you just you know Emilio had a a great start to his season in Australia. So it's it, the Gomez's are, are doing well.
2: Yeah, well, and she she's going back to uh, to Ohio. So um, Emilio's got a couple of weeks there in uh, Columbus and Cleveland. And um, um, he always tells me that, uh, that that he likes playing there, but uh, that he doesn't like playing ball is uh, uh-huh. they, they, they're get tough. <laughs> so, Emilio, Emilio, no stay away from them <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Emilio is a former USC, USC Trojan uh very successful college player and now you're uh you're watching your son go on the tour and follow in your footsteps how, how cool is that to watch one, one of your kids go on and chase their dream and their passion and uh, follow a similar career route as, as what you you did and did at a very high level for a long time
2: Obviously, it's, uh, uh, it's his choice. Uh, I'm just uh, happy that my kids are doing what they want to do. And uh, and what I tried to do when uh, they were growing up was to get tennis involved with them. And uh, I always been a believer of the, the uh, college tennis uh, programs. And, uh, and uh, that's what I, it makes me happy. All my, my my five kids play play college tennis, and uh, and after that, you know, it's it's like uh, any other family. You know, you're gonna do what, what you like to do, and uh, you know, I mean, really choose to 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 stay with tennis, uh, which is uh, it's okay, but you know, it's a, it brings a lot of pressures. Uh, uh, for me, it's easier to to be on the court than being outside. Outside, real pain, and uh, it's hard to hard to watch. I was watching the last match of the qualifiers in Australia. And I was just pacing around my room. I watched by myself. There, my wife watches in the room downstairs. Emilio or Alejandro and Manuela, you know, the siblings are going with friends. So uh, you know, and I'm, I'm checking, and I. I got my my step count up to 50,000. I just watched the match.
0: Similar to Rafa. I mean, Rafa's like, can, uh, can you get a password for me so I can watch Emilio? And I'm like, why do you want the password? I know you're not going to watch the match. You're going to be watching everything besides that because she gets so nervous.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that that everybody in the family says that, and 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 everybody ended up looking the match, so watching for him, and uh, and um, you know that we feel that uh, uh, by being there, you know, I even mean, if it's, it's like a thousand thousand of, uh, miles away, from like uh, last week, uh, uh, he can feel the the presence, and uh, that's always uh, important. You know, it's like no, I don't watch the match. You know, and which I, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel like I shouldn't be doing sometimes because it's just uh, stressful. So um, uh, you know, it's easier. You know, obviously he tries to do something, and uh, and I always said, you know, I should have done it differently. But that's obviously after watching what happens at the end of the point. So, um, but I, you know, we're a tennis family, and that's what uh, what we
0: like hindsight's always twenty twenty, but no, I think watching your family from from uh, afar, you guys are very tight-knit family, very close together, and I think that's just really cool, because I think tennis is such a individual sport, and a lot of pressure on your own shoulders, but you guys are always there to support each other, and uh, I for example, when he got done with his qualifying, Rafa, he was FaceTiming Rafa within like 20 seconds of, after shaking hands, so it's just like, it's cool to see that connection that you, that your family has, and you guys support each other, and I mean, it's pretty special. You had five of your kids play college tennis. I'm a big advocate of college tennis, and I think it's um, one of the most fun formats to observe tennis as a fan with just the energy and the atmosphere around the game and the format. I think it suits tennis the best, you know, like the no ads scoring, it's more of a team thing. You can, it can be loud. It's not so much like be quiet and sit in your seat and um, just clap when the points over. It's just, it feels a little different than the traditional tennis that we've um, come accustomed to watching. You you did not play in college but do you think you would have enjoyed what college tennis has to offer after you've seen your kids
2: go through this? Obviously you never came to play Davis Cup in South America, you know.
0: That's that <laughs> no that's no, no Okay, team, team <laughs> events that, team events we we love team well, events that, in general. Well
2: that well that there you go. You know you got Davis Cup you know and uh, that's uh, you know it's, it's just – uh, uh you want to get there and get out of there you know and, uh, and 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 if you can get out of there with the wind you know it's like uh the the, the, the most satisfying you know scene that, that can happen um people gets intense and uh, and even even if it's changed with the uh, you know with the profile, Professionalisms of the umpires these days, and the and the chair umpires, and and the supervisors, and and, and the regulations that tennis has, and uh, that uh, uh, offers uh, the visiting team, you know, some some more uh, security, you know, of uh, how close you have to play to the lines and all that, and uh, and, and that's true because it is true. And that's what it happens, and it happened everywhere. Nobody can can tell you that uh, it's not going to happen. It happens in, in tennis college, in college tennis, it happens. You know, close calls. You know, mm, mm, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and and then, but now it's you know, you still get people, and uh, and uh, it's not that uh, it's, it's it's not that you, you're cheating. You use uh, you know, seen wrong sometimes.
0: <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk about was. Uh, we start off the year with Labor Cup, uh, one of my favorite events of the year, a team event where you're playing for the, uh, playing for your country and your son, Emilio Gomez, playing for Ecuador. Uh, just I, I want to know your opinion on what Team Tennis does for the game and uh, if, if you're in favor of it. I mean, Davis Cup, Labor Cup, uh, labor, um, just all these events, I think they add so much to the game. I think that's where tennis lives best in that type of format where you can look to your box and it's a bunch of your teammates and your coaches, you know. Cheering you on and giving you some advice, and you get to talk to about changeovers. I think I think that's great for tennis. Just what do you believe about uh, team tennis in general?
2: No, well, you know, the, the, you know what is the, what is the hard part? The hard part is that uh, uh, you know, whenever you have the name of your country in the back of your shirts, it changes everything, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, there is not there is not excuse there for uh for uh, for losing and. You know, uh, you can have people looking at you playing in in regular tour events, that uh, eight Challengers, Grand Slams, whatever. You know, and and they can be a little bit more um, uh, nice to you in 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 the way you play, but uh, they're not going to be forgiven too many sins in a, in a you know in a Davis Cup match or uh, you know. I haven't had a chance to um, to play ATP or cup or uh, or even Nations Cup back in the back in the eighties and uh, and the scene is that, uh, that then then everything is, is like a win or win you know and uh, and and you have to you you show a little bit of a you know of a letdown and they're gonna let you know, know that are you playing for the country and uh, and you cannot do that when you play for your country so it's a whole different situation imagine if you if you play once a month you know this type of events you know you'll be drained by the end of the year you're gonna play take, right. take a couple right. of a, a, a a couple of years believe <laughs> me sometimes sometimes believe me sometimes it's sometimes it's hard players um, even if they say that uh, you know that uh, that uh, that they feel the same and uh, uh, it's not. Every everyone tries to to get the pressure of of of, its, of you know their shoulders uh, in a different way. And uh, some of them say, like I used to say that I, I used to love playing, especially home. I like playing home. I had a great rubber playing home Davis Cup. And uh, and outside was different. You know, nobody was nobody, nobody, nobody was gonna you know uh, put a clay court to play the to play the Ecuador in Davis Cup. Those days, you know, everybody tried to play, to play the uh, indoors, fast hardcores, You know, it's a uh, really, really, really small balls where uh, you know you're gonna be cracking serves and uh, it's gonna be a fast game. So, uh, um, uh, but I like that, and, uh, and, uh, and players obviously want want more of that. But sometimes they don't want more of that because it takes a lot physically, but more more mentally from your from your game. So, so we, 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 we could probably talk about talk your, your your kids, kids all day, day but, we, but we've got, you on, we got you on the podcast and um, and, um we, got to, we gotta
0: we, we gotta go back and do a little rewind on your career let's i want to go back i mean you're, you're someone that played over 1300 matches in your career you've won over 50 titles you've won three grand slams one french open title french open and doubles and then the us open in doubles um uh, when you look back at your career um and reflect on it what what are kind of like some of your most proud moments or, like, the moments that kind of you take away as uh, I can cherish the most?
2: Well, just make sure you tell Rafa that I talk a lot about them. okay? I oh, will. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to them. We'll get <laughs> back to Rafa. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that I, I never, I, I really never saw about becoming a, a professional tennis player, talking like the, you know, mid-70s when I was 15, 16, um, what I wanted to do was, you know, get a good scholarship. I knew all the results from uh, from college tennis. I followed it in in, uh, in World Tennis Magazine. Uh, and obviously, you want to be, uh, you wanted to go to UCLA, you want to go to Stanford, you want to go to USC, uh, you know, you wanted to go to Trinity back in those days, and uh, um uh, and 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 getting a, a tennis scholarship it wasn't easy um mainly because the college college tennis team have you know tens of of schools that are you know 10 20 30 40 you know that are really good schools because there's a lot of very good players that are you know that are, they need to play somewhere and uh and uh, they believing that uh Going through college is going to get them where they want to be at the at the profession.
0: So no, I think I mean, we talked about the college tennis and how important that was for for even your own family. You know, to be involved, all five of your kids were were playing. But um, for you yourself, when did it change where you went from your goals of being a college athlete in the United States to realizing that this could be a career for you and that you could pursue that career?
2: Well, the, I. Uh... I graduated my uh, through my my last year of the juniors, so I had a chance to play the juniors. I didn't have enough money to go to Europe and play the grand slams, so I stayed in America, I stayed in the states. I, I played the national championships, which uh, time uh, we were allowed to foreigners. Talking about we foreigners were allowed to play that. We were allowed to play the Kalamazoo, we were allowed to play Louisville, we were allowed to play the uh, national the hard court in, uh, in California. And, uh, and and that's what I did because my main goal was to uh, go to college. So, and, and that's where the first tournament I, I, I go is in uh, in, in Burling in Game, California, where they had the national hard courts and uh, and I met a few coaches there. One of them was uh, George stoly from uh, um, from USC, uh, uh, and I started you know developing at. Tuff. Also, I met Dan Good from uh, from uh, Stanford, and uh, and uh, right away those two schools, you know, all of a sudden it's like okay, let's forget about uh, all the others. You know, this is uh, uh, this is the big time. This is what I like. Uh, so my plan was to play through the juniors and uh, and then get in the next the year after in uh, in the fall. Uh, back in those days, you were allowed to have like a, I don't know like eighteen months in between the time you graduated to to the time you went to school. But um, but a few things happened in between, you know. That I, I I was like I I won a, f- a few junior tournaments and. Uh, and I was able to to be ranked in the top ten in the juniors, uh, but I, I didn't do well at the Orange Bowl. Cut or to the quarters at the U.S. Open, uh, uh, won a couple of tournaments in uh, in uh, in the U.S., especially the, like uh, the, the the clay court tournaments. And uh, you know, got my my rank in the juniors pretty good. I had no points, no ranking, and nothing in December. Um, when I finished my my junior career, start playing uh, at the pros right away. The second third week in, um, in in January, the US. That's when they for the first time they had the USPA pros here going with the um, with the satellites and uh, the challengers were called back then uh, American Express challengers. Um, and I went to play the first time, and I got wildcard in the qualifiers. After I won a tournament at Harry Hopkins Academy, that's where I was training, and that's where I lived. And um, and after that, uh, I went to play the qualifiers, won like five matches in the qualifiers, uh, and got into the main draw. and a uh, And a few beat a couple of guys at the low hundreds, in, uh, and ended up winning the tournament. Um, so I got uh, 29 points. I'm ranked like uh, 600. And uh, and and I'm playing uh pro, pro tour events and a sponsor came by and uh, they were following a, 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 a team during the uh well, into well, and uh they the the CEO came to Hopman's to train to practice himself and Mr. Hobman put this idea together about you know getting a team and and uh and all of a sudden I'm I'm on this team and uh I go to Europe. Uh, uh, I you know, go to play the qualies in, in Florence. I qualify, uh losing the first round to Raul Ramirez in a time match. He was five in the world at that time. I was nineteen wow. and uh, playing my my very first uh ATP uh, event. Went to went to Rome. Uh, we got late for uh, for the qualies, sign in and, and, and I was I, I got there and, and they had a taxi uh Chopper, they said. The taxis didn't work, so I got laid. Well, it probably was my my, my problem at the end. But I I I, uh, I didn't get to sign in and get into the into the drawing room. Uh, the draw was 128 uh, for like eight spots. so you had to win like five, four or five matches to get in, just to get into the tournament. And it started Thursday, so um, I'm I'm here with nothing, and Bob Brett, who was our coach, says, the tournament in Munich is a, it's a 75, and uh, let's go there and try to get in the qualies. And uh, I just went there, signed up, and ended up, you know, getting to the qualies. I qualified, got to the semis of the tournament, beat a couple of guys in the top 40, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, my ranking goes from, like, 600 to uh, after a couple of challenges where I made a. Semis or finals, and is is like in the mid hundreds, and uh, uh, got in into got into the tournaments in the states, like the summer tournaments, Washington, Indianapolis, Boston, North Conway, and and I go to the to the U.S. Open, uh, win a run at the U.S. Open, and uh, how old were you when you won your first round at the U.S. Open? Nineteen. Nineteen is old by by. By, by the standards. <laughs> I was <laughs> regular. Uh, you regular. When you had the Changs and the Kriegsteins and the uh, and the areas, you know, there were 16 and, you know, and then it's a different situation. And the Beckers and the Edwards and the that's not, that's not, that's not. Anyways, I finished the Open and um, and uh, George Soli called me. I, I signed up a letter of intention to go in. He and says, Andres, you know, we know, we're waiting for you. And I say, George, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 81 in the world right now. I'm making that's crazy. you know, like 24 thousand dollars as well. You know, it's, uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna turn pro. And he goes, pro? Mm, huh? No education. And I say, yes, George, I'm turning pro. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, a year after he left. USC. Uh, he had many years in USC before that. Dick, uh, uh, Dick Leach took over uh, two years later. Uh, George became uh, Raul Ramirez as a coach. Uh, he was a standout in in USC, and and obviously you know that the, the, the close tight relationship that is with the coaches with the best players in 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 any ways, but in college it is probably a lot more. You know, I I've seen it a lot with uh, Pete Schmidt, with uh, Steve Johnson in uh, in uh, in USC. I've seen it with uh, Manolito Diaz with uh, John Isner in uh, in Georgia. So you know, they help helping not only go through the college systems, but looking for them even after that. And uh, and uh, and 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 I'm showing sure up in Milan and, and I'm you know signing up for practice. in you know, with Raúl and uh, and, uh, and I see George there. I say, "What are you, what are you doing here?" And just it's like, a, "Well, I quit school." So I go, well, thank God I didn't go because I was going for you. He was uh, he he was one of the winningest coaches in in tennis, wow. tennis in college. So, anyways, and from then on, you know, it's just a learning process that uh, um, I guess all tennis players have to follow. You know, some so, a little faster, some a little slower. Uh, You go through tournaments, you go through different surfaces, you go through different uh, countries and, 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 you know, mentality.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, like, you also, as well as becoming a top five player in the world in singles, and you were a top 25 player for over a decade, you also became world number one in doubles. So were you practicing doubles a lot? Or did that just kind of come with the training at singles? You just naturally had good hands? Because after watching the highlights of you, you were someone that did look to come to the net a fair amount. I mean, you you, you would put pressure on your opponents by uh, either chipping and charging a little bit or look finding a corner and then following it up.
2: I had to go to the net. These guys, you know, sometimes, it's, you know, they want to beat you from the back of the court, you know. And, uh, you know, whenever you go there, you know, Nadal is going like a... Oh, how nice, you know, that he's staying back, you know, and no following the serve and, and, you know, and and no chipping and charging after the Sorry?
1: We were watching your French Open match with Andre Agassi and speaking of nerves, that that first overhead in game four when you just smashed it down into him, was that kind of the the moment when you felt like, I mean, it looked like they were, that you guys were playing playing tight and then you blasted that and then... That was a moment I felt like you kind of took took over physically from Andre in that match. Is that is that accurate?
2: Yeah, uh, you uh, uh, people sometimes think that I beat Andre only at the French. I beat him like twice before, and uh, and we didn't play much. And uh, so for me playing him, you know, in my my mind, uh, I was a favorite in my mind, in my head. And, uh, and, and I don't care whether the people say that he was, you know, it's not my, my problem. And and I needed to uh, physically, you know, he's six, he's six foot, I'm six foot, you know. Let's get in the fight and we'll see what happens. You know, it's the same, yeah, I, that, that was my approach to the, that was my approach to the game. You know, let's see who he, you, you're strong, and and you probably faster, no, no you probably you, you 100% sure that it, you were faster than me but let's see let, 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 then you know i'm not going to be running so every point has to be like like today Four, five changes no more than that only when the, when the point really really counts you know you see that 20 overs changes and that's when uh when 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 uh, that's the, the statistic that the big players always have in I had had the I had the clo- I had the, uh, the short uh mind to how I was gonna play you know I I was gonna hit the ball hard for f- four shots five shots but the six is gonna be the hardest and he <laughs> didn't have to come back and and that was it
1: he beat thomas he beat Muster thomas, Mr. right before one, that too right so like that too. In, that, so, in, that so. Tournament. in that in that
2: tournament
1: what's the bigger challenge was it Muster or, challenge Agassi? Muster or
2: Agassiz? no Agassi? but for for me at the, at the time uh Muster was not you know uh it was a challenge obviously, obviously. but uh, i knew that um uh, that uh, his game suited my game uh, and and, and when we went went on and played and uh and it was raining a little bit it was uh the sun shining a little bit it was uh windy a little bit it worked out in my favor he wanted to be you know perfectly nice conditions to play um when I, the two weeks before or three weeks before i lost to thomas in the semis in in rome and i, I had like four or five match points in the semis and uh uh and uh when he beat me when, when we finished you know i did first the, the press conference uh, uh the ones that and naomi doesn't like to do and uh uh and uh <laughs> and uh he came in you know the winner comes always second so so i was going back to the locker, but I decided to come back and I listened to him, you know, how good he was. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, no problem, man. So when, uh, when, uh, when they asked me the day after or when I got to parties, I don't remember. Uh, and, and I said, well, you know, I, it's not that I, I wanted to lose, but uh, I didn't want to play best of five the next day uh a we uh, uh, i was gonna have to run like uh you know and kill myself um uh, and i save a few a few shots i didn't show him. Uh, i'm gonna have a few shots left that i'm gonna show him because coming in he was the favorite in 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 uh, the French he was uh, and him and Agassi were co favorites and then chesnokov don't ask me why. Uh, uh, Sanchez, then and then and then it was me. I was like five or six uh, favorite in in the in the press or in the people's eyes. I beat them all, you know, through the uh, through the uh, through the spring. Uh, I won Barcelona. I won Madrid. Got to the uh, got to the uh, I don't know third round of quarters in Monte Carlo. And uh, if if there was one player that I was, uh, you know, that I, I didn't like playing in the 128th row, that was henri Leconte.
0: How do you feel like, I mean, you guys were playing best of five, but how do you feel like the off-the-court training and recovery and stuff has changed players? Like you watched Emilio and the other kids play college and professionally. What do you feel like they're doing differently than what you were doing back then in the uh, in the 80s and 90s?
2: Watching Emilio, I get tired. Emilio, watching him just <laughs> doing everything that he does, just gets tired. It's just a little bit too much, and uh, uh, you know, used to what we used to do, and uh, and uh, and and I feel that uh, back in the eighties, when you had no internet, no uh, no way of uh, fast communication and interchanging information, and, Um we were pretty much uh avant-garde we were doing swings that, uh, that that uh, uh, were different and and i remember um uh, doing uh working out in a swimming pool for for a uh, you know in 81 i mean this is like a, like everyone and and, and Time that, that weather it was so cold that there was no no, no warm swimming pools. You know, you used to jump in the in the cold water. So it was a it was like cryo. That's what we call it, cryotherapy, or how you call it. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. You just get you just get into the cold stuff, and you know, and you just get freezing. And, and we were doing yeah, we were doing that, and, uh, yeah. And, and 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 we're you know, I, I had some problems with my shoulder, and we were doing rehab in in the swimming pools <laughs> scenes that are you know they're they're doing now, uh, just to get somewhat you know obviously uh, uh, it was different, but uh, uh, we had some we did some scenes with. Uh, very basic, you know, with reactions for for uh, you know getting the the, the 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 head alert, you know that I, I'm sure you've seen, you know, so the red light comes on or the green light goes on, and you have yeah, to do yeah. something. But now it's like uh, you know you got a very yep. nice lead pad you know lead pad and a, and a very nice. No, no, we're working with. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, the uh, bulbs you use, or the or the lights you use in the Christmas tree. That's what we were used. So, um, um, is and, and that's what I, what what. Uh, and and coaches, uh, uh, you know, learn to to do from talking to other coaches, and and that's how you get into the the, the point where you are right now. That is like a Almost perfection to everything that uh, that you need to do, but but always, always the great players are gonna find something else that is gonna help them over the other guys. That's gonna happen. That, that that's is a fact. You know, they 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 develop um, a, a head for research and 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 and, and, and not afraid to to do different things, you know, and and sometimes some some players are like, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be, you know, uh, I'm gonna be looking like a fool, you know. If somebody sees you, you know, doing sprints at six in the morning, like back in the '80s, or running in the in the snow in Frankfurt, I can tell you a few places where I run in the snow, you know. And, early morning even you know dark sometimes but i you just don't have to say it, you know you just keep it to yourself you know you don't want every mm-hmm. every you don't, you don't need everyone to know your mm-hmm. secret and sometimes you feel your secret is what is making you the difference to well,
0: next thing i kind of wanted to get your opinion on what your perspective is coming from someone that i mean i grew up in the 90s um and i always thought tennis was really popular Obviously, it's probably like like when you hear people from your guys' generation, when you had all these legends in the same era with, you know, Agassi, Sampras, yourself, Vlander, Jimmy Connors, uh, Yannick, Noah. I mean, we could go on and on. Do you feel like tennis is as popular or less popular?
2: Being old, and, and, and obviously I'm going to fight for my generation, and I'm going to say that uh, Bjorn is as good as, as uh, Rafa and Clay, Um uh, and people is gonna argue that that's different because he's won thirteen Roland Garros. It's okay, you know that one. Won six and only lost one match, and he didn't play because he could because Davis Cup find him and they didn't let him play. Team tennis find him and didn't let him play, and and the the rules are changing, and, uh, and 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 as long as you get these guys, these names involved, tennis is gonna be probably. We're not gonna stay forever. You know, uh, labor is probably out of that generation, the only guy that is still stick up in there into everybody's labor cup, he's shown in every, and and, and that's what tennis is all about. Once you know that uh, uh, labor gets too old and the people that follow tennis gets too young, they're gonna find somebody else. They need to find somebody else from the next generation. Probably that be Connors. I don't want. I don't think Connors wants it because Connors feels like he's gonna be thirty forever, and he feels like that. And but uh, uh, Bjorn or, or McEnroe are, are very close to that. And uh, and uh, but how you compare it to somebody that? Won a couple of Grand Slams in, uh, in his career. Nobody's gonna compare it to that.
0: No, yeah. I the reason I asked is because you know a lot of fans are complaining about the coverage of this Australian Open. You know, you have to download ESPN Plus to watch the matches you want to watch, and it's um, uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's just like it's a bummer because hey. I think the fans need.
2: Hey, what'd you say? Yeah, Emilio was playing Qualis, and I was watching him live. So don't tell me it's not good. <laughs>
0: that's a, no, that's a, that's a good, good
2: point. You know, that's the way that 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 that's the way it's going. I mean, no, that's unfortunately. A, that's a good... unfortunately.
1: I think that Nate was asking uh, if you had a, a rival in your in your time, and if if there was a specific rival that kind of stood out throughout your career. It's exactly what I was getting to.
2: That's not a fair question. He, he knows it. <laughs> Lendl was in my back every single time. So, uh, you know, worst part is, uh, you know, I should be hating the guy, you know, because it, because he he beat me sixteen times, and he beat me, or those sixteen times, ten times. Was either Grand Slams or uh, or uh, the Masters or ATP Tour Finals, which is it called now? So I should hate him, but I, but, but, but but the problem is that even we good friends, uh, probably better friends than before. We talk like once a month. And You know when Emilio has a good win, he, he you know the first one to call is him. Uh, uh, um, but he was really a uh, uh, you know as stone in the shoe in my career. He you know lost to him five times at the French, twice at the US Open, uh three times at the Master, once in hour, almost. Okay, next question. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> done with that question. Orlando.
0: Guys, I appreciate you guys tuning in and uh hope you enjoyed our conversation with the legend Andres Gomez, French Open champion, three time Grand Slam champion, twice in doubles. Um, awesome talking with him. I'll be seeing him again hopefully this uh, upcoming new, uh, U.S. Open. Um, but no, what 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 a pleasure to have our first uh, Grand Slam champion on the Pure Tennis Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and can't wait to talk to you guys soon. Enjoy the Australian Open, guys. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Joe Patton, special shout out. You the man. Appreciate you.